Hello and welcome once again to Westside Unscripted. This is the podcast where the pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. Might not be totally honest to say they throw the notes away, but they file them away in a drawer and they don't pull them out during the episode. Yep. So we, Pastor Peter is not... All of his notes are not burning in a field right now. Right, exactly. they're, they're still there. He can still get back to them, but for the purposes of this episode, there are no notes. Welcome. I'm Josh, a deacon here at Westside, and joined by Pastor Peter Montoro, our preaching pastor here. And uh, this is the podcast to answer questions about theology and culture, but we are about to go on a summer break, a little bit of a hiatus, and then coming back uh, strong in the fall. During this summer... It depends if we get any questions over there. <laughs> if no one sends any questions in, then, you know... If we have no questions, there's no podcast. Right. We'll have to start making up questions, and that, that could be bad for, uh, yeah. bad for the podcast. But uh, we're glad that you're here, and we uh, look forward to talking with you a little bit about Pastor Peter's uh, sermon series that's going to be coming up in July. But before we do, he has brought a uh, book with him that I think he wanted to share uh, something from that is probably pertinent to the discussion. So I haven't been able to finish this book yet. So this, the second half of it could be, you know, totally terrible, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm expecting that it will be beneficial. But the book is called The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. And he makes a distinction between something he calls flow. So there's a lot of interesting things in the book. I haven't finished it. But there was one distinction I thought it'd be helpful to talk about. He talks about something called flow and something called like the superpower zone. So when he's talking about flow, he's talking about something like when you are riding a bicycle, you know, and you want to go faster, then you have to put forth a certain amount of effort to go faster. So increased performance comes with increased effort. So you're putting yourself into it. Whereas when you are, say, flying on an airplane, you're going far faster than a bicycle could ever take you, but it's taking no effort whatsoever. So you're not putting yourself into flying on the airplane. In fact, it's actually sort of personhood reducing experience um, for those of you who have, you know, you know, at least if you're flying, you know, like ordinary mortals have to fly, uh, you know, back in coach um, and you're crammed into this little space and you can't, you know, you can get up and use the restroom, but that's about it. And even sometimes you can't do that. And, you know, you're told when you can put your seat up and when you can put your seat down. And so you're very constrained. <laughs> And you're basically, you know, being transported from one place to the other. So on the one hand, like, and there's a lot of experiences like that, um, you know, where you're, you're using, you have these superhuman abilities, but the expense of leaving a part of yourself out of it, you know, so you, you know, you can be a Navy SEAL, you know, doing crazy stuff in a video game, you know, but at the expense of actually being out in the sunlight or wherever doing anything, it's not your body isn't engaged in that, it's just your fingers or it's just the, mm -hmm. the handset, whatever you're using. And so he uses that to explain how that affects, um, whereas like there can be a benefit, right? There's a benefit to flying, but you're giving stuff up as well. Whereas there's other things that are more natural, more human things where you can put all that it means to be human into it. You can be fully engaged as a human. And if we don't think um, what we're giving up, and of course the most extreme example of that is something like uh, compulsive gambling, you know, where the slot machine is completely absorbing your attention. And it's really, you're, you're almost become an automaton where you're just focused on the, the alignment of the slots. And they, they really engineer them that way. So he doesn't talk about that example. That's from Matthew Crawford. 
Um, but how, basically how there's, there's this difference psychologically between how we experience things that engage us as whole persons and things that engage just a narrow slice of our humanity, which some of them can be good, some of them can be bad. Um, and he's not at all saying that we shouldn't do those things, just that we should be conscious of the difference between that one isn't a substitute for the other. So we should probably walk everywhere. <laughs> well, I, I think yeah. it's a great idea, but we should be conscious of what we're missing by not walking. Yeah, right. Okay. You know, so that mm-hmm. you don't have a sense of the scale of the distance you've covered if you don't walk. So if you're walking, so he, talk, he does talk about right. walking. Except I don't know, is that, I don't know that that's totally true. Like there is something about the scale of the distance you're covering when you're up above the clouds. That's true. Like I would but say you that. You get, a, you, get a, you get an embodied feel for being, like there's a disorder. That's why you, I mean, that's the disorientation of jet lag. Like you've moved but your body hasn't had a chance to keep up with mm-hmm. the time. You know, you, you, it's, a, it's a sort of disorienting experience, even though he's not saying don't fly. He's, you know, the point right. is yeah, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Um, Which brings us to the discussion of what does it mean to be uh, a person with a body. So we've got, I've got your uh, title and subtitles. You've got two subtitles in there. So I uh, just wanted to comment on how long your title actually technically is. Yeah, well, it's not as long as like a 17th century title, so, <laughs> okay. you know. Well, we're doing good then. So it's called Unvirtual Reality. That's the key title. And then uh, Why We Can't Escape Our Bodies and Why We Shouldn't Try, a sermon series on the meaning and purpose of our bodies. So I want to start with that second, that, that first uh, subtitle, Why We Can't Escape Our Bodies. So when we hear the term that we are trying to escape our bodies, that sounds ghoulish or, you know, grotesque. But, but what, what, are people trying to escape their bodies, and what, is that, what does that look like? What does it look like for someone to try to escape it? Well, I think there's sort of like a maximal level. Like, so sort of you have like, you know, peak escapism is where, you, you know, you uh, freeze your brain cybergenetically. Um, <laughs> right, that's yeah, like yeah. the peak, right? Um, and so I think most normal people would find that weird, yeah. you know, that you would, um, you know, have your head cut off and have your brain put in a vat and frozen or whatever they do to freeze it, you know, that, that mm. that's like, we'd say that's, that's kind of weird, man. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> like almost kind of cultish, but there's a lot of people doing it yeah. and a lot of money, you know, so we can see like even something that w- most people would still say that's weird. Right. There are millions and millions of dollars being invested in doing exactly that. Um, so that would be like, and and that is not just some saying that there's something more we can do with. The, it's saying that there eventually could be AI that allows us to reanimate our conscious yeah. or recapture that consciousness and put it into a new body. Basically, that's right. what that's what they're after and what right. they're hoping for. Yeah. So like transhumanism, that whole movement that like we're going to evolve beyond the human, we're going to be sort of cyborgs, that sort of thing. And you might think, well, they're not trying to escape their body because they're trying to preserve their body. They're freezing it, right? But there's a body the limit of death um, that only God can overcome. And so when you take it upon yourself to transcend that limit, um, then you really are trying to escape from what your body is telling you, namely that you're dead. Um, your body is dead, <laughs> yeah. right? And so you're trying to get beyond that. And so, you know, another um, sort of extreme expression would be something like transgenderism, where your body tells you every cell in your body, and we're not, we're not, we're not talking about the, the, the rare condition of someone who's born with intersex, uh, where there, there may be some ambiguity, um, just like you could have a heart with the wrong number of ventricles. Uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about those who are biologically very clear, they're a man, and they're you know cutting stuff off and replacing hormones, so they can be a woman. Um, and of course, that can come from a, from a place of uh, deep 
uh, personal hurt and abuse, and it doesn't always, but it can, you know, there can be reasons why an individual would be motivated to do that. Uh, but as a society that celebrates that, that's, um, you know, that's, that's a society that's not listening to what, rather, so rather than, you know, so someone who's in that place of pain, we should be encouraging them to listen to what their body tells them and helping them to conform to reality rather than conforming, you know, the reality of their body to how they're feeling. So, you know, without, you know, undercutting the fact that there may be real pain in their life that we want to help them with, this is not the right way to help them. Yeah. Um, and it's not actually helping them. So that brings, that's the unvirtual reality part, the attempt to escape what is real or the physical in terms of af chasing after some virtual expression of it. Right. And, and so, there could be, oh, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah. So I was, well, I was going to say then that some of what you've already said has even brought us now to the, uh, your second subtitle, that it's a sermon series on the meaning and purpose mm -hmm. of our bodies. So for someone to say, if you were to say to someone, you know, your body has a purpose, then people are, they might push back at some point, but, but for the most part, people understand that bodies have purpose in the sense that they keep you alive. They, you know, they, organs do something. You go to the doctor, their diagnosis is going to be based on what your body was supposed to do. What a, what is an ordinary functioning body? Which you can't do in the case of transgender patients. It's harmful to their health. If you're, if it's stopping you from from giving attention to how a male body functions and a female body yeah, functions, right. then it's causing real harm. And we, we, we're, we haven't reaped the whirlwind on that one yet. And that's where I think people, if you talked about purpose of the body, that's where the, you'd start to get some of that pushback. But if we talk about a kidney, they're not, people aren't going to be arguing over the purpose of your kidney directly. I mean, maybe there are. But, but then when you say that there is meaning to your body, what, is, what are you getting after when you add well, think, that yeah. so phrase think, in there you know, to so say that your body have, means like, something? I want to just go back to sort of escape uh -huh. the body real quick. Okay, yeah. Because um, mm -hmm. you have those, ex you know, you have like a really extreme, the transhumanist, you know, sort of bleeding edge that even most secular people would say, man, that's weird. Yeah, and right. And you have transgenderism that a lot of people would feel that's weird, but it's being forced societally so much that, you know, many people in society are accepting of that, um, even though it's, you know, that... I think a lot of, you know, hopefully, you know, most Christians would still be like, well, that, there's something wrong right, about that. Right. But it's being pushed so much that it feels almost normal to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but when you start talking about the meaning and purpose of our bodies, well, there's male and female bodies. Like, everybody is male or female. Um, and so what does the differences between the male and the female body tell us about what men and women are supposed to do? Um, and so if we're listening to our bodies, if we're seeing a purpose to them, then we're going to see that men and women aren't designed to do the same things um, so that there's a way of flourishing that you flourish as a woman, there's a way of flourishing that you flourish as a man. Um, and we have this ideology of interchangeability um, that basically wants men and women to be interchangeable and would see anything that works against interchangeability as oppression. Um, that really is the same thing that you have out there on the weird fringe where you're not listening to when your body is dead, um, that you're not listening um, to the fact that your body tells you you're a man or a woman, but that doesn't just tell you, I'm a man, I can't be a woman, or I'm a woman, I can't be a man, which is where I think a lot of Christians, you know, more broadly in evangelicalism would right. get that, but they would be very uneasy with, um, okay, you're a woman, and therefore, right. this is the sort of work you should be pursuing, or this is how you should be pursuing work. Um, and this is the sort of society that enables men and women to flourish as men and women rather than as, you know, sexless workers. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that stretches into the meaning right. portion. And then you get even more, so that's controversial enough, but then you get the fact that our bodies tell us where we are. Um, mm-hmm. And so if God tells us to gather, then have we gathered if we've gathered virtually? Is there such a thing as a virtual gathering? Mm-hmm. And I would say if we're listening to what our bodies are telling us, yeah, no, there isn't. So you see, you see like you get there's a connection, and that's, and that's the, you know, the, the whole the sexless society is what abortion is all about. That's why it became so prominent, um, because really in order, this was what Margaret Sanger was trying to do in order for women to compete with men um, at being men, they have, have to, to take the womanly part of them off the table. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you see like this idea of our bodies having a meaning um, that is given to us by the creator that we can then look at that and say, what is this body for? And listen and learn from that um, and not act in ways that are contrary to that uh, is something that really doesn't just affect those people out there we don't like, but something that, you know, not that this, but you know, those people out there that we find weird, whoever they may be, however far Mm -hmm. it has to go or however close it goes before you start finding it strange. It's not just about them. It's about the decisions that we make and the fact that we are influenced by this culture of ignoring the body um, as well. This is something, there are areas in which this is affecting us and it's the same basic issue that goes from abortion to transgenderism to virtual church to um, the sorts of careers you might pursue as a man or as a woman to the way we organize our households, um, to the way we treat single people within the church, um, you know, and the fruitfulness of the kingdom. And it, it connects all of these different things together. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think, so in, in one sense, in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So in some ways, the heresies and the, uh, problems that we're facing today are the same types of sin problems that we've faced in, as humanity. Is there something new, though, or a, or a fresh happening here? Because you, as you talk about a theology of the body, it, to to have a whole sermon series that says you have a body and that's a good thing, sounds like the kind of thing that I have not heard people talk about. You know, Martin Luther and his body series, or <laughs> yeah. you know, this was Augustine and at the time he told us that we shouldn't try to escape our bodies, right? Like that that. Is there something fresh about this, or is this? How, how would you situate this kind of? T- well, I think you know we've been we've been we've created a society that's more prosperous than any society in human history has been. But it's like the more prosperous our society becomes, the less hospitable it becomes to human beings. And it's like we've traded. You know, people have been worshiping mammon for. I think one of the things that's different is if you go back, you know, to ancient Sumer or some early society, mm-hmm. you have some people oppressing the bodies of other people in order to get money for themselves. You know, so it's, it's so mammon is causing a lot of widespread suffering. You right. know, mammon is always demanded the sacrifice of humans. Um, that's oh, you know, the god, the you know, the de- mammon eat the forces of evil have always demand, you know, Egyptian slavery for the for the Hebrews, right? You know, so they are their fertility is being controlled by the forces of evil in order to serve the purposes of mammon, right? So that's the same. You know, there's nothing new about that. I think what in some ways is different is the ways in which those who are enslaved think of themselves as free. The way in which 
we are, well, maybe the difference is we are all sharing in, in the fruits of mammon and we're all paying the price of mammon. Hmm. So we've distributed, you know, rather right. than... We've distributed the slavery and the wealth. Right. Um, the slavery that mammon always brings with it, we have distributed that um, and embrace it willingly in some ways. Right, um, yeah. Rather than just taking it out on, the ex- on others. Um, you know, I think there's an aspect... I mean, this gets beyond even anything I'm going to get into in the series and raises some really interesting questions, but there are these sort of deep connections. Yeah. Um, and just the way in which our technological society really... Um, it, I think it distracts us from the slavery. Yeah. Or there, there's, there are, at least there are distractions from the slavery that you don't have to like wallow in the fact that you have a body. You can be online all day long or either interacting socially and getting your social fix through social media or your fix for building for, for building things for fighting things through video games and activities there your fix for drama through film and tv your fix for entertainment through yeah. you know that then i don't know it seems like that the slavery is a little bit yeah back, well it seems like i mean even if you go back to say you know the invention of the factory so the factory enables prosperity at a scale that previously wasn't possible, just in terms of sheer creation of wealth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're building, especially the early factories that were built, they were very bad for humans. Yeah, right. You know, so it's creating wealth, but it's basically trading humanity. So you've got... Because it turns the humans into pieces of the machine right. that is creating stuff. Right. And so they have the manager class that start that begins to be the ones who put together, hey, if you'll just put this bolt on, here every time, then, you know, down the road, this is all going to go super fast and we're going to put out way more cars or way more widgets or whatever we're making. And so now I'm reduced to putting a bolt on that is a thing that robots literally now are being (laughs) replacing humans to doing, you know, right. And and maybe it means that humans just were never meant to do that (laughs) if the robots can legitimately replace Yeah, but I think it's like the, the fact that there can be real, you know, there's a, there can be good from technology, but there can also be a myth of progress that you don't, I think this ties into what uh, Andy Crouch was writing about. If we're not giving attention to what we're losing, Mm -hmm. if we then, then we just say we want what's latest and greatest. We want the new thing. And I think that's something that, even Solomon's talking about, there's nothing new under the sun, that you think you're getting something new, mm-hmm. but you don't pay attention to what you're losing. Um, and it diminishes it in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's a perpetual human tendency, um, but it is manifesting itself in ways that are, you know, we're seeing seeds that were planted back in the Industrial Revolution and even before are bearing fruit in ways that are really unpredictable. Yeah. I don't know if this is how it's playing out for everyone else, but it seems that this is, at least in my own growth, how things play out, have played out, is that growing up, I just the idea of a man being a woman wasn't even on my radar. And then suddenly that's the thing that everyone's talking about. And it's kind of has felt like a shock to me. But that that shock has led me to realizations like what you mentioned just a minute ago, that actually a lot of the ways I thought about men and women are the exact types of folly that are being exhibited by the transgender movement. So that then it's not just that that's the thing out there that's a problem. It's that, no, this is actually like deeply embedded in my own way of thinking and that trying to deal with our moment or thinking through 
the issues that are pressing have actually led to deeper reform back further exactly. into my life. And so it's like that these new challenges are uh, forcing us to kind of recover or reform in a way that maybe we wouldn't have reformed had we not reaped this whirlwind that we're starting right. that we're starting to reap. Yeah, I think that's exactly, and that's really what I'm hoping to do in this series. So I'm going to start out by talking about, you know, created bodies. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Um, you know, what are we as human beings um, in the sense that, you know, we may think of ourselves as bodies that have souls or souls that have bodies, but we really, we're, we're embodied and ensouled image bearers. We're not one or the other, but we're both of these things together. Um, so it would be, you know, inaccurate to say you're only your body, um, but it would be inaccurate also to say you have a body as though there's a you that's distinguishable right. yep. from the body that you have. Um, well, I just said that wrong. Like it's so, it's so embedded right. in our yes, language yes, yes. That, it, yeah. that it becomes, we think of it in this way, but actually like you are your body. You're not only your body, right. but you, you are your body just as, as much as you are your soul. Um, and so even just reflecting on that and reflecting on the fact that we're created, um, you know, which means you can look at a wrench um, and know it's not made to hammer with. You can hammer with it, um, but that's not conducive to the flourishing of the wrench. I mean, yeah, right. most of us have done that. Um, you know, you can use your fingernail for a, a flathead screw, uh, but that's not what your fingernail is for. And if it's too tight, you will find out that that's not what your fingernail is for. Yeah. You know, and so you can look at something and, and see, you know, if it's, it's, if it's just out there, if it's just a raw material for us to do something with, then you know, then we can just do whatever we want with it. But if we are created um, to glorify God, we're created to image God, we're created to be fruitful and multiply, then if we don't give heed to that, then we're going to cause damage. Yeah. We're going to start there. Um, and then in the second one, we'll talk about men and women. And, men. you know, that this, this uh, idea of interchangeability is just false all the way down. And what Christians often try to do is, you know, either be very inflexible and really just sort of stereotype, you know, freeze one, one part of imperfect human culture and say, you know, the 1950s, the 1970s, or, you know, the 1820s or whatever, right? We're just going to freeze that and we're going to say that's what men and women are um, without giving attention maybe to the ways that those were flawed manifestations as well. Um, so that's one sort of extreme. And the other, you know, would be to, um, uh, to just say we're going to follow these rules. So as long as you know, as long as women aren't pastors and, you know, don't run their houses, then they can basically do all the same things yeah. and have a really shallow difference when actually, you know, the difference goes all the way down. Like you are, you are a man and you're, you are a woman. Um, and then the third one will be about fruitful bodies. And so how fruitfulness works for, uh, obviously for married couples and the benefit of having children and the, the, the good of that, but also the fruitfulness of singles in the kingdom of God and how, you know, the coming of the kingdom really changes even the meaning of fruitfulness um, and how the church is to incorporate both of those into one body. Um, and so that, you know, we don't leave behind the fruitfulness of Genesis 1, but there's also the fruitfulness uh, that Isaiah prophesied would, would take place in the, in the body of Christ in ways that go beyond um, the having of children without leaving that behind is a good thing. You have both of these in, in the kingdom. Uh, and then valued bodies, how, you know, our, our value is image bearers, um, there are no pre-persons or post-persons or unpersons. So, you know, why seeing the value of the body and seeing that um, a living body is a person, uh, full stop, um, really connects abortion, euthanasia, and disability altogether. 
um, and how we respond to those three things. And then finally, the importance of the rescued bodies, the importance of the incarnation and, um, and resurrection ultimately. Like, why does it matter so much that Jesus became not just, Jesus became fully human and he took on a human body, which means yeah. God has plans for our bodies, um, which means there's hope beyond, you know, when we deal with the brokenness of disability or we deal with the brokenness of death, that's not the end of the story for our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more and there's more because Christ entered into that brokenness and is transforming it. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I remember, uh, I think this thought came from you, but the idea that if the, the, the idea of embodiment being important for the return of Christ and for our view of the church now, that if we can not gather and watch church online, mm-hmm. then what's the significance of Jesus actually coming back to be with us? If like his spirits are, if presence already, doesn't, if presence presence doesn't, doesn't matter. matter He's here in that sense. Right. Right. Like, so, you know, is Jesus actually here? Well, yes, in by the Spirit, but he's not no, bodily present. he's not bodily present. And so, you know, this is, uh, it's interesting how, and one of the things I'm looking forward to with the series, it's interesting uh, to seeing is how these uh, insights on humanity and kind of the ways we've been shaped to think about humanity then start to work their way back up into our theology in what we think about God and mm-hmm. Christ and the Spirit, that uh, in, in some way, in one sense, all of these come from deficient views of God. All these deficient views of humanity come from deficient views of God, but sometimes their path into our theology is through man, through our view of man, and then we start seeing God poorly. And so even just, I, I'm in, interested to see then, as we think through this, how uh, this has even shaped our approach to God, our approach to church, mm-hmm. you know, our approach to uh, the, the mission that he's given us here in this world, you know. And it's not even just the, the things we think, it's the practices we engage in. And that's why I think yeah, exactly. really, yeah. you know, thinking through something I've talked a lot about recently, really thinking through the practices we engage in when we gather for worship, um, what we do with our bodies during worship matters, um, something I want to think about more, you know, even in the future, that how are we shaping ourselves in those subconscious ways? those habitual ways, mm-hmm. we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this, because there always is a reason for it, whether we're conscious of it or not. And, yep. and what are we shaping ourselves? How have we been shaped to think of this as normal? And what right. are we shaping to think of as normal over the long haul by the things that we're doing when we get together? And, and that, that, that meaning, this goes back to the meaning idea, that if meaning is something that we read from a body, that it's not, it's not projected outward from us onto our bodies, but it is something that is inherent in a, in a in the body itself exactly yeah. then uh what we do with those bodies means something mm-hmm. in the wor- in the gathered worship like it, it not just not just that you know i want to signify that i'm excited so i raise my hand or i want to signify that i agree so i'm projecting outward and saying amen but that like these things actually that they have meaning that, that when when someone on the outside that, that it can be done for the outsider like the person observing, I guess. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, think so. Like, well, so for instance, there was a, uh, like, uh, someone pointed out recently how architecture used to be uh, made for, it was good architecture used to be a thing you did kind of for your neighbors. It's looking good for the community, as opposed to now architecture is mostly built for the benefit of the people inside, and uh, the, the exterior look isn't 
always significant, at least on the low, you know, more common level of buildings. So that then, but the, but the exterior has some kind of meaning. It says something about the house and about the, the design communicates something. So I guess what I'm saying is that if our bodies actually mean something, even in terms of like their gender, then what they're doing in worship means something. It says something about the world. And so that's why we need to give serious attention to what we're doing in worship, because what we are doing says something. It means something. It's not just an arbitrary expression mm -hmm. of something on the inside. It's actually an, a concrete, objective meaning, and that's why we try to, you know, and we're, follow. We're, we're, there's a givenness, too, to our bodies, um, and so we're either in keeping with what was given or we're working at cross-purposes with it. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. the, that's the broader thing is what, what if we don't know what it, you know, if we don't give attention to the design, you know, if you look at a wrench and you, you know, all you see is a hammer, then you're, you're not going to be very effective at hammering and you're going to do damage to the wrench. And so really, and, but our bodies are of course much more richer in intention and in meaning than a wrench, you know, that humans made, like there's a lot more, <laughs> yeah, you know, we've right, got to right. actually give attention in these different contexts. What does our body mean here? What's it, what's it telling us here? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is the creator's intention for us here? And then we're, we're coming into a very broke a society with very broken structures. You know, we, we inherit those, right? So you think about work and, and how work has been broken by centuries of the factory system yeah. and all the things that have come and, and gotten even and more problematic than that. And so we're trying to say, and, and, and one of the things we need, we've, I don't know how much this will come into the series itself, but, um, you know, even when we're trying to say we want women to be women, well, if we just make a checklist, three things, now you, you, you know where we actually want to shape the structures that are shaping us so that they shape the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, in ways that are less problematic than the ways that we've been right. shaped. Yeah. So. Yeah, indeed. Well, be sure to show up. It's all Sundays in July, the morning worship service. And then I believe it's the last Sunday night in July. The last Sunday night. Yep. But then we'll have a uh, public Q&A in the uh, Sunday evening yep. uh, worship or Sunday evening service time. And so you'll be able to ask any questions that come to your mind as you're thinking through uh, the topic of embodiment. And uh, just give it, give it real thought. And, you know, as you run into things and you hear things and, uh, people talk about the bodies and the culture. Think about uh, the series and uh, try to try to think about it seriously enough that you have a question. <laughs> Absolutely, and be in prayer for me as I try to. I've been reading and thinking about this, but now I actually have the time has come that I feared greatly. I actually, <laughs> write it. <laughs> so, <laughs> pray for me. Pray that I'll be able to. to as with any creative endeavor, it is always so much better in your head, then it actually ends up landing on paper, and then you've got to deal with the reality of the thing itself. So Yes, exactly. You know, the, it, the givenness of it, which is not <laughs> yeah, always... <laughs> yeah. It's not always wonderful, but it is the way God made the world, and so yes. we just have to... So work, we have to, we we have have to work, work with that. that. So I need to just get some time to... Yeah. <laughs> it's been a busy, busy season, and so I have a stack Indeed. of books that I've read, some of them we've mentioned here, Yeah, um, and I have to somehow translate a few thousand flags and many, many hours of thought into a few hours of comprehensible speaking. And I've been trying to preach simpler messages that are like more applicable. And then I'm like, man, I've been, I've been working on that. And now I'm coming to this series. How am I going to do that? So yeah, yeah that, that would be All right. We'll pray for Pastor Peter as he, you know, tries to condense that down in a way that is both uh, clear and very helpful and educational. All the, he's got a lot of things to do with and a few sermons, even a lot of things to do with a few sermons. Yep. So pray for him in that way. 
Absolutely. Uh, and be sure to show up. Be here to Absolutely. be here to listen and to about your neighbors. To we have these. We have these cards that you can. We do. We have door hangers. We have uh, postcards with all the information on them, and you can pass them out to your coworkers, to your neighbors, uh, and anyone else who you know that would be interested in uh, possibly coming. The cashier at Winco, the uh, random person in the parking lot at Costco, wherever you are, these uh, these would come in handy for good conversation starters, I'm sure. And then uh, hopefully, Scott did a get great them, job on designing yeah. the graphics. Yeah, they're great. So take them, pass them out. This has been the last episode of Westside Unscripted for this season. We're going to take a break throughout the summer, so you won't be hearing it from us until uh, later this year, and we'll let you know when the new episodes are going to start coming again. But in the meantime, if during the summer you have a uh, question about theology or culture that comes to mind that you want to maybe have flagged on the podcast, then be sure to send that to me, Josh, at Bible Direction for Life, or let me know and I'll get those queued up and ready to go for the next year of Westside Unscripted. Thanks, everybody.